Hey there, how you doing people? Here is Stefano aka Calamaro and this is another episode of Broom Vagoon. Broom Vagon, you know what I mean. So yeah, I asked you, how are you doing? Today was not doing super good. The day in the office actually finished with a huge stomach pain. I don't know what's going on over there. Probably, yeah, I don't, know. I don't want to know that. But I'm pretty happy of starting this week here because this is gonna be the week of the Toros de Gravel. On Thursday, I'm gonna pick up my 3T Explorer. By the way, thanks a lot, 3T people, for giving me this amazing bicycle. Actually, I had to before to pick it up from the cycle store Zurich. They're fixing my handlebar that I destroyed after the crash, but that's another story. But on Thursday, I'm gonna pick up my 3T Explorer and then I, and then I will head to first Palma and then Cineo to really give a huge hug to the people over there, mostly to Jan Eric and Bregan who are organizing this amazing thing and then a lot of friends are gonna be there. I'm pretty excited to start this adventure with the people that I really like with some exploration and gravel rides in Mallorca. Hopefully it's gonna be fun, for sure it's gonna be fun, hopefully it's gonna be less stressful than La Resistance. Talking about La Resistance, I want to tell you that, yeah, when was it? On Saturday, an amazing, really amazing gift arrived into my post box, in my mailbox. That's really great. So I actually met Max, Max Leonard, who is a copywriter, writer, not copywriter, sorry, I have my background in advertising that always confuse me. Uh, he's a writer, he wrote a lot of really, really cool books on his story, an amazing book talking about bunkers. Yes, I completely love bunkers and Second World War bunkers. And also the, um, how was the name of that one? Yeah, The Men of Paris with a portrait book that was produced together with Rafa, as I remember, and also some guides and super good stuff. And actually we got this conversation at the end of La Resistance, myself and Max, and then after that he contacted me because he wanted to show me his last yeah, product, adventure, baby, I would say. The name of this book is Rough Stuff, Rough, sorry, Rough Stuff, Cycling in the Alps. An amazing book, it was, uh, actually it was a um, Kickstarter project, and yeah, I booked this book that was um, starting, so it was originally a book compiled from this guy, this man, Fred Wright, really passionate about bicycle, really passionate about Alpine Pass that actually it's kind of it's a it's a guide it's a guide for everybody who wants to get his adventure on the Alps and going on unpaved roads he started everything at before the Second World War probably okay around the 50s maybe I think it's around the 50s and uh, yeah just riding a really a bicycle of that time I think it was a rally or stuff like this on top of unpaved passes and then he created this book, this guide, and then he just printed something like some, I don't know, probably 10 or few, few of them, and then this book went completely lost. But then Max got this idea of contacting him back and reprinted. And then after the Kickstarter project, here you go, you have this amazing book 
Actually, I have this amazing book. Thanks, Max. Well, this is just something like a sneak peek that I'm giving it to you. Anyways, all the links are going to be here in the description below. But I will for sure uh, interview him. We are trying to, let's say, set up an appointment to have a talk on this microphone about rough stuff cycling in the Alps. Probably it's going to happen at the end of my week at my, in Mallorca at the Toros de Gravel. But really, guys, just have a look to this one online. And if you want, just buy one of those because really having this amazing, this jewel in my hands is really amazing. And there are a lot of passes also here in Switzerland. Well, this episode, no way. <laughs> First of all, my contacts. Hello at calamaro.cc. That's my email. Then facebook.com calamaro.cc. Then twitter.com read calamaro. Instagram calamaro.cc. And yeah, listen to this episode on Spotify. Look for Broom Vagon over there. Same thing on Apple Podcasts. Look for Broom, Vag Broom Vagon or Broom Vagoon on Apple Podcasts. Or another thing that you can do is just go to Spreaker, Spreaker.com slash listen calamaro. Always the same thing. And then what else? Nothing. Ah, yeah, today's episode. Maybe we have to jump into today's episode. Well, today's episode is still about uh, adventure, adventure on the bicycle, um, ultra endurance races, and exploration. Because some weeks ago, before yeah, before my La Resistance and everything, I interviewed the first women, sorry, women, the first women, the first woman who arrived at the end of the Silk Road mountain race. I'm talking about Jenny Tuff, Tuff is the case to say, who was, yeah, the first one arriving to the end of this amazing adventure. She's not only, so it was not the first time that she was doing, she was going to Kyrgyzstan, first of all, and this was not the first time that she was doing such an amazing adventure with the bicycle, also without the bicycle, because she's uh, really, really strong in bike endurance. She does a lot of, I don't know, hiking in high mountains, cycling in high mountains, and then solo sailing, all this adventure by herself. And she produce also some content out of it in his website that is going to be linked down below, jennytuff.com. Anyways, I interviewed her and it was really an amazing and motivated talk that I had that actually gave me, yeah, gave me the extra push of finishing and ongoing because, you know, let's say I finished it, but just a small one, ongoing to La Resistance even after my crush. Listen to that, it's going to be great. And then let me know what you think about, you know, the contacts, right? And yeah, uh, today probably we're going to touch again, not probably, for sure, we're going to touch again the topic of the season, at least at the beginning of the season, and talking about the Silk Road, Road, Silk Road Mountain Race, because I have here on the other side of the microphone, Jenny Tuff, that was the, no, it's not good for myself to say this thing, I prefer my guest to introduce himself. Oh, hi Jenny, how are you doing? Hey, well, how are you doing? Yeah, super good, thank you. I'm pretty much recovered from my crash, but that's another story. And I'm super happy to have you here and to have these talks about, yeah, bicycle, adventure, discovering. You are a really multi-talented person and I'm super happy to have people like you on my podcast because it's a good way to motivate everybody to go outside of, the, outside of their comfort zone and embrace discovering the world. Yeah, absolutely agree. Yeah, great, thank you. <laughs> 
<laughs> so maybe we can start from you, Jenny. And uh, yeah, if you want to give us a small presentation of yourself, it would be great. Uh, so I'm really into endurance challenges and adventure travel and kind of where those two things meet. So I take on um, difficult endurance challenges and I do them in difficult parts of the world. So uh, one of my biggest projects at the moment is to run across a mountain range on every continent. Wow. Uh, and the first mountain range I did was the Tian Shan in Kyrgyzstan, which is ultimately what led to me signing up to the Silk Road mountain race. Because two years ago, I ran across those mountains. So when Nelson posted that he was going to do a race, um, I knew that I just had to go back because I had just fallen in love with those mountains. So I do a bit of cycling, do a bit of running, um, and also paddling and sailing and whatever else I can get my hands on. Yeah. Uh, anyways, I would say to everybody anyways is going to be also the link here in the description below i would suggest everybody to go to your website that actually i have it here i must have it here yes jennytuff.com where everybody can actually have a look and enjoy the adventure that you are doing really often and there you can find actually that you yeah. run you do hiking you cycle you sail you pedal, you do something like all the things that I can help you to discover the world, but where everything happened? Uh, where where do I do my adventures? Yeah, where everything, where and how everything happened. Which one was your first adventure? Which one was the first kick that let you decide, okay, I want to do these kind of things. I want to discover the world with myself, more or less with endurance sport, mostly by myself. Uh so I had a bit of an unusual upbringing. When I was a child, we actually, um, my parents took leave of absence from what they were doing at work and we went and moved onto our sailboat and our small family, when I was 10 years old, we actually lived on a 37 foot boat and traveled around the Caribbean um, and I was homeschooled and everything like that. Um, and I don't think I realized at the time, I don't think I was quite self-aware because I was 10. Um, but that was certainly where the seed was planted for adventure travel and for um, exploring in different ways and getting off the beaten path. Um, so I guess it probably just made sense that once I grew up and once I finished school, um, the first thing I needed to do was to um, cut off ties and, and go off traveling. Um, I'm not really sure where it all got out of hand that I started doing crazy sports while I was traveling. Um, I think I just wanted the independence and the freedom of getting around by human power. And um, it was quite exciting. I got my first bicycle when I was 21 and um, started traveling just with, you know, a tent and a bike. And that to me was just the ultimate freedom. Um, and then as I progressed with that, I guess it just kind of got out of hand that I started wanting to really push the sport side as well as the exploration side. Um, and fast forward to the last couple of years that I've started dipping my toe in, in endurance racing and adventure racing. Cool. Now, okay, we already mentioned that actually you're doing uh, different sports in order to explore the outside and the outdoor. But e, um, let's put it in that way. How do you choose which part of the world do with in which in which sport so why how you decide for example to hike in some part on south america or cycle on kyrgyz on kyrgyzstan or for sure i think sailing is a no-brainer but you know what i mean what you how yeah. do you they take your decisions over there 
Um, I think I normally start with the sport and then I pick the location. Um, Kyrgyzstan, the first time I went, was a bit different. Um, when I originally wanted to go to the Tian Shan, I did want to actually go mountain biking. Um, but And after having done the Silk Road, I can't believe I'm about to say this, but originally I looked at a map of Kyrgyzstan and thought, that's just too small. And if I bike it, I'll just go too fast. Okay. And I wanted to slow it down. And so then the concept that I should just run across the country just made more sense to me because going at run pace, I'd be able to absorb more. Um, so that was the one time that I think the location actually dictated the sport um, that I wanted to be on foot. Um, but normally normally it's the sport first that I decide actually I really want to go for a bike ride right now because I just did a really long run. Um, and then I'll decide where I want to go with my bike. Yeah, you were so okay. This is actually the the country and the topic that we are gonna touch super super often in this talk, and we're talking about Kyrgyzstan in that case. So you ran across the uh, across Kyrgyzstan, and then you have ridden also across Kyrgyzstan with the Silk Road Mountain Race. Mm-hmm, yeah. The question over here is: Which one are the part, the spots, the climbs, whatever the landscapes that you really really say, okay, this one was the best one, or this one is really the hit of Kyrgyzstan. So my two experiences in the Tian Shan, they just they almost don't compare because they were just so different. Um, the train itself, honestly, and I said it to Nelson during the race, it lends itself to running. Like we spent so much time off of our bikes because the train was so gnarly that it just wasn't um, appropriate to be on a bike. Um, but those trails are so good to run on. Like there are some really fun running trails out there. Um, but at the same time, you get to cover a bigger distance faster when you're on your bicycle. Um, so there's, there's a lot of give and take there and there are lots of moments where I'd rather be running and lots of moments where I'd rather be cycling. Uh, so gun to my head, it would be really, really hard for me to decide. Um, yeah, I don't think I could choose. I, I like the freedom of running, but I like the pace of cycling. I, I, can't, I can't choose. I'm sorry. That was a terrible answer. I'm not choosing. No, I, I can completely understand. You know, uh, <laughs> actually, when you are attached to some, it's like asking, okay, who do you, who do you love the most, mom and dad? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, I can completely understand. I can completely understand. It's just, yeah, it's just a good place and a good, uh, yeah, the good place and a good adventure just to live your kind of exploration. That's what I believe. You, you need mm. different tools from time to time. Absolutely. And uh, yeah, actually, another thing that actually looking at your website, at your experiences and everything else, I really would love to understand over there, um, what do you prefer? Or if you like to do the two things, with the two things, I, I mean, solo and really exploration by yourself or like something like the endurance race? Because yeah, you were uh, running in Kyrgyzstan only by yourself, unsupported and, co- and completely unsupported. But on the other side, you also went to the Silk Road mountain, ra- mountain race. Then, okay, it's also an uh, unsupported endurance race for sure, but still there are other participants around so you can also enjoy a bit of the company out there. So there's good and bad to both of them. Um, I do think that solo is, um, I get so much out of doing it. I think um, when you're completely solo, you have, you're 100% in the driver's seat. If things go wrong, you have to find a way to fix it. If you're not feeling motivated or there's something that's 
scaring you. You have to find a way to fix that. And you're just, you're completely in control and you're completely responsible. And I think when I started doing solo adventures, I was in my early twenties. And for a woman in her early twenties, I think that's a really important lesson to um, put yourself in these situations where you can't ask anyone for help because you're in the middle of absolutely nowhere and you have to figure it out. Um, so I do get a lot out of solo and especially the travel aspect, like in Kyrgyzstan, um, meeting the nomads really changed my life just not to oversell it, but like it really did. Um, and when you're alone in those situations, you're quite vulnerable and you're very approachable by other people. So you tend to meet people really easily. So that was, that's kind of the good side, but then, um, going back to Kyrgyzstan with a hundred other bike riders that honestly, it made the experience for me. I, I didn't expect to have as much fun as I did with the other riders and met, made some really good friends out there. Um, and it's not just, you know, the people that you get to hang out with and have a great time with, but you also learn a lot from other people, you know, like what I do in the sports that I do is very niche. It's not like I know quite a lot of people who travel and explore the world in the way that I do. And so getting to go out to Kyrgyzstan and meet a hundred other people that are into the same thing. Um, and learn from them and see the way that they would tackle their problems and the way that they pack their bikes or whatever it is, um, that's a really good way to grow and to get a lot more out of your sport. So there's, yeah, there's good and bad to both. And I feel really spoiled that I've got to do the Tian Shan twice now in both ways. Yeah, okay, okay. Um, yeah, another question that jumps into my mind is actually, you were talking about the community of ultra-endurance sport, uh, sport people and whatever. Are you really a community? So you have something like people that you're meeting at all events around or just people that you talk with, something like, okay, it was a premiere for everybody, I believe, the Silk Road Monte Race this year. Did you talk with somebody in advance and asking, okay, what are you bringing? How much food are you bringing? Which bicycle are you taking with you and stuff like this or uh, i was lucky that i had a few friends in the race um three of the other women ricky lee and philippa um there were people i knew before i raced against philippa earlier in the year and uh ricky lives around the corner for me so i did actually get to have that um pre-race chat and of course there's a facebook group and you know for all the bad in social media um social media has probably changed the way that i've been able to explore my sport because I don't really know a lot of people in my vicinity that I can talk to about my sport and what I would pack. But um, these little Facebook groups that maybe only have a few hundred members from around the world, it's actually really cool that there's this, this online community of people um, that have this one common thing. And I think that might be the reason why I enter these races is just because I get to be part of this community. Whereas before I was just doing this stuff on my own and trying to figure out my pack list on my own and, um, literally wandering the wilderness by myself and now um through these races and through these um online groups i do know quite a lot of people that i can i can have these conversations with yeah yeah yeah. i can completely see the point it's really cool actually yeah i'm into as well some groups all not on the participant but sometimes the participant but also on the people that are checking or whatever the the sports as well and actually there are a lot of comments that are pretty pretty technical and pretty cool that you can really talk about okay which kind of gears to take with you or stuff like this and really prepares you for everything unknown that can be outside on these races and that's really cool uh talking about gears and stuff with which bicycle did you did you ride the silk road mountain race uh, so I took a Shan Stushi, which is a handmade steel bike from Scotland. Uh, it's actually the same bike that I rode the Transatlantic Way, which is a road race. And so I switched the wheels and switched the gears and made her 
technically gravel or mountain ready. Um, yeah, and she got around the course. I didn't have a single mechanical. I didn't even have a puncture. So I definitely can't fault the bike. Not even a puncture. Not even a puncture. I think I pumped up my tires once because I was going to go on the pavement for a while. So I thought I would put up the pressure and that was literally it. Wow. Wow. That's impressive. Really impressive. Yeah, I know. Yeah, it's great. It's great. This means actually that actually you really had to finish that thing. And it was great. Yeah. It's not only, I think it's also, it's not only luck. That's what I believe. It's also about experience. For sure, there's some luck involved, but also some good experience on how to set up all the stuff. That's what I think. Yeah. I mean, I don't feel like I succeeded in a bike race. I feel like I succeeded in a really twisted episode of Last Man Standing. Because really finishing the Silk Road race was largely about being able to survive in the mountains, uh, not getting any race-ending mechanicals, and not getting uh, sick, basically. There's a little bit of cycling in between. Yeah, let's go over there, because I've talked with so three of the participants, Max, John, and Banked. Plus, I was following the race all over in the old social media stuff, and a lot of people got mm -hmm. sick out of there. It was really yeah. everybody had bad moment with food poisoning or altitude sickness or whatever it happened. Apart that, you also faced snow or stuff like this. Did you have also some problem like this, or it was everything smooth? Uh, I had, I did struggle with the altitude for sure because I only flew out the week of the race, and that's just not enough time. Um, so. I did struggle, even towards the end of the race, I was still struggling at the high passes. Mm -hmm. uh, and I had one night where I was sleeping in a drain pipe and I'd taken some dodgy water that I didn't feel great. And I thought, oh no, this is it. This is me going down. Everyone else got sick and now it's my turn. Um, but um, I think it was 12 hours and I was, I was a bit better. So I do think I got really lucky in that regard. Yeah, okay, great. And uh, another thing that I wanted to ask you is a bit more broader on the uh, the community or the really ultra-endurance sports scene and everything. Uh, how do you see actually out there the presence of women into this world, into the ultra-endurance world or bicycle discovering world? I have been talking with a lot of those, but still I have the feeling that let's say the percentage is way on the side of men doing these things. You participated to a lot of these kind of events. You are also doing something on your own and you are a part of this movement. How do you see actually this presence and how do you see in the future the growth of it? Yeah, it's something that boggles my mind that at these races we tend to be about 10% of the entrance. Um, and that was the reason, that's the main reason why I started um, doing what I do quite publicly. I mean, before um, I was always going on adventures by myself, but I just kept it to myself. Um, and then I'd come back home and get back to work. Um, and now I do quite a lot of public speaking. And of course, you've already said I have a website and stuff. And that was um, mainly driven by me starting to be quite more aware that when I went to events or when I went to festivals or anything that I touched on in the sports that I really cared about, um, I was only seeing white men on the screen and you know, you can't be what you can't see. And I just thought I can complain about this. or I can do something about this. And the first thing I can do about this is to actually just put my hand up and um, start giving more of a presence to women in these sports. Cause there isn't anything inherently disabling about being a woman at this level. Um, it's well proven that in endurance sports, women do actually compete on the same level as men. 
Um, and if there were more than 10% of us in the races, I think we would start seeing that in the results. Uh, and the best way to do that is to just be more visible. You know, if people look at these races and they only see um, a particular demographic, then they're going to assume that the sport is just for a particular demographic. But if we make a real song and dance about um, the different people that are in the race and we really promote them through the media channels, then we get more different people signing up. And I do think that's a really good thing for everyone involved. So that's, um, it is something that I see changing. I'm seeing a lot more women give this stuff a bash. Um, I'm seeing race directors um, try to help women to get into the races and try to encourage women to get into the races. Um, and that's helping a lot more women show up. Um, so I'm hoping that we're going to get to a point um, within my racing career that uh, we don't have to talk about it anymore, that it's assumed that there will be a 50-50 uh, registration, that women are going to start doing well, that we don't even have to talk about a women's race at all. It can all just be one race. That's something that I would like to see change. We're really far away from it right now, but I I think we're going in the right direction. Yeah, I believe as well also because I can see in the last, let's say, couple of years in general um, for the sport that I love the most and actually that I'm following the most and talking about cycling, I can see really a huge presence mm -hmm. of women there that are really participating to events, participating to ride. And that's super important. Now, so before I was used to live in Berlin and there when I was, when I was participating to group rides, whatever. So I was participating to at least four or five groups. Um, I was seeing really often a, a consistent presence of women riding with us. Um, is it a thing that I'm seeing a bit less now that I live in Zurich? Probably is a bit more a conservative scene here. Berlin is another thing. Oh, that's interesting. But at least I can say that also here something is moving. And when you are starting seeing this thing in Switzerland, as well as in Italy, I have, so I am Italian. I, I don't know, everybody knows it. I don't know if you understand from my amazing accent. And, uh, <laughs> and also there I started seeing actually in groups or in groups where friends are used to ride or whatever, also the presence of women over there. And when these things are moving, not only in places like Germany or US or UK, but also in parts of the world like Spain, Switzerland and Italy means that something is going on. There is a lot of things to do. I will try to give also my contribute over there on talking with people like you to just share the spirit and also the happiness and also the good experience that you're having out there on riding your bicycle or just running across all the continents. And I hope that most of the world of the job also is done by you, Jenny, or something, somebody else like <laughs> you is spreading around this voice with your video, with your voice, with your participation to events. Awesome. Cool. Uh, I have another couple of questions. And one is, what are you usually bring with you into your bag to this kind of huge events? And not talking only about the things that you need to survive, so something like uh, where to sleep or stuff, but also in, term, in terms of food or stuff. What's, what's something that cannot miss with you? Uh, so I'm pretty ruthless about um, everything in my bag just has to be something that's used to survive or, in the case of a bike race, um, keep the bike moving. Um, but I do have one desert island luxury that I always have to have, and that's a toque, which is the Canadian word for like a bobble hat or a beanie. I always have to have my warm toque, um, even if it's got a pom-pom on it, which is a superfluous amount of space to take up in your pack. But like, I just need my, need my toque. <laughs> yeah, that's my, 
that's my item that just always has to come with. Um, and I don't care if it takes up more space than it needs to. Um, but yeah, I'm all about, yeah, it has to justify its space. Aside from the toque, everything in there has to be something that can either keep me warm and dry or keep me fed or keep me safe if in the case of an emergency or first aid or something like that. Um, and just absolutely nothing else. I'm just trying to get lighter and lighter every time that I go. So I used to be always camping in a tent and now I, um, I moved to bivy and then I even moved away from the bivy and just using a waterproof sleeping bag. Wow. Um, and in the race, I was finding a lot of drain pipes or rocks to hide behind or just any form of shelter that can substitute for a tent that you can find out there. So you are telling me that during the Silk Road Monte race, you didn't have any bivy bag or bivy tent? Sorry. No, just a sleeping bag. Really? Wow, brave you. Yeah. <laughs> Great. Yeah. <laughs> I would never imagine that also because I've seen pictures of strong wind or snow and stuff. Yeah. I can't imagine that. Great. No, it's all about finding a drain pipe. They were amazing. I slept in a couple. Great. Um, now maybe we can talk a bit more about something like your memories, your past. In all the travels, in all the adventure that you have been living in these years, which one is, I don't know, an, an episode, a good episode or a weird episode or something that you will remember forever? I don't want you to choose just one, maybe just just the last one. I don't want you to make a diff, um, a tough choice, but it is a tough one. But um, I'll give you one from actually from Kyrgyzstan because uh, it was from a part of my run. But during the the Silk Road Mountain Race, uh, we actually went past the area that this happened, and so I had to be kind of reminded. Um, so it can be this can be a really long story. So I'm gonna just skim skim through the spark notes version um i had had one day about halfway across the country so i'd run about 500 kilometers uh and i had a pretty scary episode where i found myself in a really bad situation that i had made some nav navigational errors um that uh to cut it short i basically had a near-death experience trying to get myself out of a really bad area that i had to do a lot of rock climbing uh and it was really sketchy and the risk of death was unacceptably high that at any moment, if I had slipped, I would have died a hundred percent guarantee. Um, and so anyways, I, I had this episode and I, and I got myself out and I got myself to safety and, um, I had sworn to myself that if I did survive this climb, that I would quit, that I would go home, that clearly I shouldn't be out here because, you know, I'm not capable and stuff like that. Um, But anyways, I got myself to safety and I had a big cry, sat down and just cried when, you know, the adrenaline goes away. Um, and then I just got up and I kept on running. And a couple of hours later, I passed a yurt and these nomad kids came out and they ran alongside me. Um, and before I knew it, I found myself giggling and enjoying myself again. And I got invited into this yurt to stay the night. And that was actually really nice because I was up at 4,000 meters elevation and uh, it was the first frost of the year. So I would have been quite miserable in my tent and these, these lovely people accepted me into their yurt. And it wasn't even a question. It was just an assumption that, you know, any person who passes by their yurt at this hour is going to have a place at their table and, and a bed on their floor. And so this family welcomed me in and it wasn't like, even if I could have spoken the language, I wouldn't have told them what a horrible day I'd had and how traumatized I was feeling and how fragile I was. Um, but because of the language barrier, obviously we didn't, 
we didn't talk about that anyway. Um, but it just really warmed my heart and they really restored the run for me in the ditch. Next day I got up and, and just went back to the expedition to run across the country. Uh, and the big thing for me was um, it really shifted the focus that I'd had. Because up until then, I was really excited about the fact that I was going to be the first person to ever run across Kyrgyzstan. I mean, how cool in this day and age to find anything that hasn't been done before. And I was just really like I guess it sounds kind of narcissistic now I was just really stoked about the fact that I was going to get to be the first um and then after that experience I just thought who cares like absolutely who cares because a thousand people could run across Kyrgyzstan and they're going to come back with a thousand different stories it absolutely doesn't matter who does it first who does it fastest um it's all about having the amazing adventure that you can have and meeting these wonderful people and exploring these mountains um, and so after that, I, I, first of all, I just didn't really care that I was going to be the first. Um, I just accepted if I could just run across Kyrgyzstan at all, that would be awesome because it's a really hard place to run across. Um, so I, was, I shifted on that. And then I also had really shifted my focus on safety, that it didn't have to just be the hardest route across Kyrgyzstan. It was okay if I just took the safest route across Kyrgyzstan. And then I was a lot more, I guess, calmed down, I guess, after that. Um, so that was... That was a really big experience. I think it took me maybe two years to process because I rode past um, the exact, not the exact spot, because obviously I would have died. It wasn't a place to climb, but like I rode past the place that I'd stayed during the race and just remembered those feelings that I'd had at the time um, and remember, just really got taken back quite quickly to um, what I was like two years ago and how much I've progressed in the last two years um, as a mountaineer, as an athlete, as um, just as a person on the whole. Um, and that was, I don't want to say it was cool. It was just interesting. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah, yeah. Really, you really gain a deep knowledge of yourself on doing this kind of thing. So yeah, anyway. absolutely. Yeah. Um, just because uh, you really touched that point at the moment, you were mentioning actually uh, the people of Kyrgyzstan. I've also read a lot and also had a look around and also listened to uh, the real voice of people that have been there. Everybody talking about the people, the population of Kyrgyzstan as amazing and really uh, big-hearted person. It's, it's the same feeling that you had, right? It's really humbling. Um you're in a situation where, you know, like we, we come from the first world. We have so much luxury that we get to fly across the world with our bicycles and do something that is insanely physically hard because we have that kind of luxury um, coming from where we come from. Um, and it's really humbling to do that um, around people who don't have these luxuries. They don't have anything like it. Um, and yet they're the ones that are helping us. They're the ones who are inviting us into their yurts, who are making us hot tea when we can't even feel our fingers anymore. Um, they're the ones that are giving you those smiles that lift you up and keep you going. Um, and it's, I think it's just so humbling the way that they treat other people who come to their backyards and um, the generosity of those people and the friendliness. Um, it just really gets you right in the heart and makes you really reflect on the way that um, we treat each other in the Western world, I think. Yeah, yeah, super cool. Um, are you going to produce something like or edit or go live with something like a video of your experience in Kyrgyzstan? So the Silk Road Monte race or? Uh, no, on the race, I just tried to keep my head down. I think I took a couple photos, but um, no, I just, I just kept my head down and 
maybe I'll write something. I've started writing it just to kind of process what happened. You know, I think it helps me to to write it down and then see it on the screen and go, oh, that happened to you. You went through that. Um, so I'm just kind of in that process right now. Okay, okay, okay. So While the wounds are still fresh. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. Okay, I understand. So probably we're going to read something about, <laughs> about that from you. Yeah, yeah, I'll get there. <laughs> I will. Okay, amazing, amazing. Can't wait for that. Talking about the future. So this is a small story that I think that also my our audience today must know. So I um, I'm interviewing right now, Jenny. Right now means that today is Wednesday, the nineteenth of September. And in the meanwhile, okay. when I was organizing uh, 2018, and in the meanwhile, while I was organizing the interview with Jenny, I was also inter- organizing the interview with Leland from Dirty Kansa. But because they were tough days after a crash and everything, I okay. actually made a mess with sending out the questions. So Jenny first received the questions that were meant to be on the computer of Leland. So I asked her a bunch of questions about the Dirty Kansa. Fortunately, I was uh, quick enough to recognize that and then I sent straight away an email to Jenny saying, sorry, I made a mess. But I already can imagine your face, Jenny saying, what the hell is happening over here? But anyways, then just to <laughs> wrap up everything, not my head, because to wrap up my head in this moment is a bit complicated, <laughs> but to wrap up everything, probably I need to ask you about the future. Have you ever... Th- thought to uh, ride the Silk Road Monterey so do you have in mind to ride something like an endurance uh, ultra gravel race into the US uh, it is far away um, but yeah damn you for sending me a race that I hadn't heard of and now I'm like oh well I guess I'll just have to do that one day so if I ever find myself in Kansas which I don't know when or how I will find myself in Kansas. But if I ever do, I think we all know I'll definitely be having to sign up for that race. Okay. okay. It looks rad. Yeah, exactly. It looks really, it looks really amazing. And after having the, yeah, listening to, uh, I think a talk with Leland actually, and really, really stuck by that. I don't know if I can, it's the same for me, you know, going to the other side of the world to make the Dirty Kansas could be a good adventure, but you really need to plan it really good. But still about the future. Uh, which one do you have in mind? Which one is in your plans for the future? I think the list keeps on growing. We keep on getting new races in the calendar. So um, I guess for me, there's a balance of, of racing and then also doing my own expeditions. So right now my head is just completely focused on I'm flying out to South America next weekend to run across a mountain range there. So I can really only think about one at a time. Yes. Because I'm very much a starter. I get really excited about the next shiny adventure around the corner. So I can't let myself look. Um, but yeah, next year I'll probably do a couple of races. Um, yeah, there's there's quite a lot of options on the table. And I think they're all kind of European-based. It'd be nice to find one um, more abroad. I know there's the BC Epic 1000 and um, my family's in BC. So it'd be quite nice to go home and and do one of those okay um literally the only thing that's holding me back right now is that it's got a lot of washboard in it and after racing kyrgyzstan i never ever in my entire life want to see a washboard gravel road ever again okay okay so i need some time to recover from that (laughs) okay okay i don't think it's gonna be forever no yeah eventually i'll forget the trauma right yeah yeah i believe so you just need another couple of months you just need the other another couple of adventure and then you will not remember it anymore i believe and then yeah i think so 
<laughs> Great. It's dangerous, that. Yeah. But what can I add? So we are going to follow you. You said that next week you're going to fly to South America. We are going to follow you in your social media, right? We can find something over there. Yeah. Perfect. That's yeah, amazing. hopefully. Yeah. Great. I, we are gonna. I'm gonna put everything, uh, by the way, in the description below. Hopefully, I'm gonna publish this. I will see. Actually, anyways, I'm gonna mention it in my social media because hopefully, I'm gonna publish this episode before you to go there. Otherwise, people will just enjoy your picture during your stay in South America. Oh, and, amazing! By the way, if you ever will come here to Switzerland to ride, to run, or whatever here in Zurich, give me a shout. We can have a ride together. Proper mountains. Let's definitely do that. Exactly, exactly. Something like I don't know. I'm thinking about the closest one from here is the Clausen Pass. is about 22 kilometers climb. It's really nice. Okay, that's in. And alpine yeah. environment. Yeah, exactly. It's nothing compared by to Kyrgyzstan, but still, it's something cool. It's, it's a lot closer. Alps. Yeah, I, I, that's that's another good point. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks a lot, then, Jenny. It was really, really a great, great, great pleasure to talk with you today. Thanks very much. And for yeah, I, me. I need to say this thing. Yeah, it's really a pleasure. I just need to say the last thing. If you want to add something, now it's time to add for you. Oh, um, you put me on the spot. Um... <laughs> uh, yeah, sorry. I'm doing it all the time for this. Uh, <laughs> no, I have nothing to add. Just. Um... Go outside, ride your bikes if you're thinking about doing a really big race, but you think maybe it's too hard. Um, it was too hard for everyone, so just sign up anyways. Go for yes, it. Yes, yes, that's a good story. I have to talk with a friend, though, exactly this weekend. I'm going to ride La Resistance with a friend of mine who is already starting saying because if he has not been riding properly for a couple of years and now he's scared. No, I'm going to do only 90 kilometers here and there. Go out and ride. Worst case scenario, we're going to stop and drink some wine. Exactly. And that should just be on a t-shirt. The worst case scenario is you'll drink some wine. Actually, yeah, I must do that. It's an amazing idea. Thanks, Johnny. <laughs> yeah, there you go. <laughs> Great. Thanks a lot. And uh, yeah, it was a pleasure. And I'll talk to you soon. Amazing. Thanks. Bye-bye. Ciao. What do you think about that? It was a great thing, right? She's so strong. Her spirit is such an amazing one. Really pushes you to, to move the next step forward for the next adventure on and off the bicycle, exploring and go outside. Life is too short to be sitting in the office for all day and just thinking about careers and stuff. Go outside, enjoy your life, enjoy the outdoors and enjoy people like her or whatever. Or other thing that you can do just get a dog get a dog and walk with your dog in the forest or in the nature because it's way way better than sitting on a sofa or sitting in the office getting stress and getting stomach pain that's what i believe what do you think about that you have to tell me and you have to contact me hello at calamaro.cc that's my email and then instagram.com calamaro.cc facebook.com calamaro.cc read calamaro is on twitter so read calamaro on twitter and then what else yes spotify broom vegan apple podcast broom vegan spreaker broom vegan you're gonna really see a lot of cool things in my instagram account next week because from thursdays on i'm gonna be on toros the gravel and next week the episode about that is it enough right i believe it is bye guys talk to you next week <laughs> <laughs>